beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, many people agonize over the what-ifs in life. What if I would have pursued a different career? What if I had been born in a different country? Or what if I had been born at a different time in history? Or for you children and young people, what if I had been born into a different family? What if I had another set of parents? What if? Although the word if only has two letters, it can represent momentous changes. David recognized that. He begins this psalm by writing, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Commentators are divided on what specific events David may have had in mind when he wrote this psalm. Many believe it may have been inspired after David defeated the Philistines in a series of military maneuvers described in 2 Samuel 5, verses 17 to 25. Each time David defeated the Philistines, he recognized God's hand in the victory, and therefore he wrote about how if the Lord had not been on their side, they would have been annihilated by their enemies. But these words are not applicable just to David some 1,000 years ago before the birth of Jesus. These words are equally applicable to us. If God had not been on our side, we would be, in David's words, swallowed up alive because God's people today face similar hostilities to those that David faced. Certainly, we face the hostility of the world. Admittedly, we don't have the Philistines or the Moabites and Ammonites trying to do us in, but we live in a world that is united in its hostility to true Christianity. The hostility of the world against Christianity isn't just in those nations where the church is persecuted severely for her faith. In the Western world, including Canada, we have seen a growing wave of opposition against Christianity. Prayer has been taken out of the public square. The Ten Commandments have been systematically legislated out of the public view and replaced with Canadian values. Legislation such as Bill C-4 seeks to mute the consolation of Christian comfort, among other things. The media consistently portrays Christians in a negative light. Personal attacks against God's people are direct and upfront. Should we be surprised? Not according to Jesus, who said, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. John 15, verse 20. And he also said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Ever since the fall of humanity into sin, the world has been a hostile place for believers. It started already when Cain took Abel's life, and that hostility will continue until the Prince of Peace returns and ushers in true, eternal peace in the new heavens and the new earth. Along with the hostility of the world, we all face a flood of many troubles. In verses 4 and 5, David is still speaking about Israel's enemies, and he likens them to a flood. In these verses, he writes, The flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. 
Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Have you noticed in what we've read how Scripture never sugarcoats the Christian life? Eliphaz pointed out to Job that man is born as to trouble as sparks fly upward. Jesus said, in this world, you will face tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And Paul and Barnabas strengthened and encouraged struggling believers, assuring them that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God in Acts 14, verse 22. We see some of these troubles and trials of life from a distance. Verses 4 and 5 uses the metaphor of a flood. And usually, though not always, floods can be anticipated. A hurricane is tracked and we can figure out its projected path. We have time to prepare, at least to some degree. Here in Manitoba, after a winter of heavy snow, we know the rivers will rise and we know where the floods will swell. And as for heavy summer rains pour down, flood warnings will be given from time to time. But at other times, the floods give no warning. Certain parts of our country with semi-arid deserts and steep ravines were and still are prone to flash floods. The sudden downpours are too much for the parched ground to absorb and the ravines fill with water and torrents sweep over the people in a flash flood of trouble. David certainly understood that the troubles of life are like floods. Some are seen from a distance. We see the clouds building and we know what we are in store for. But at other times, we are swept away without warning in a flood of unexpected troubles. Nothing has changed in this respect from David's day. Christians still face the hostility of the world. Christians still face a flood of problems and troubles in the pilgrimage of life. And thirdly, Christians are caught in snares when least expected. In verse 7, David writes, We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Back in David's time, snares were often used to catch unsuspecting birds. The snare is an almost invisible line that ensnares and encircles the leg or the throat. The use of a snare relies on the hidden. It relies on the unexpected. This is what makes snares so effective in catching their prey. In the pages of Scripture, snares are often specifically associated with the devil. He is wily, crafty, seeking to snare the unsuspecting Christian. Lord's Day 52 of our Heidelberg Catechism warns us that our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, our sinful nature, never stop attacking us. Sometimes the attacks are in the open, obvious and easy to see. Other times, the attack comes by the hidden snare of sin, not only from the devil or the world, but the snares of our own sinful nature. Always be on guard against these snares. If Psalm 124 spoke about the hostility of the world, the troubles of life, and the snares of the evil one, it would be a discouraging psalm if that's all it spoke about, wouldn't it? But the psalm is just the opposite. In all the troubles and hardships of life and sorrow of life, our comfort is in knowing first that the Lord is on the side of believers. And so we have our second point, the comfort. Did you notice the double use of the word if 
in verses 1 and 2. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel would now say, if, if, it, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. A New Testament counterpart to Psalm 124 is found in Romans 8, verse 31, which we have read earlier, where the Apostle Paul, after describing the greatness of God and the power of his redeeming love, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the special relationship we have to the Father through faith in the Son asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we know what Paul says, goes on to say in the rest of Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord indeed is on the side of believers. This is one of the reasons why this psalm is a psalm of great comfort. A second source of great comfort for the Christian amid all the troubles of life, the hostility of the world which we endure, and the snares of the evil one, is that the Lord protects his people. As verse 6 points out, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. When David cared for the flocks of sheep, he had been spared from the teeth of the lion and the bear on many occasions, and he gave glory to God for this. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 37, as David confronted Goliath, he assured King Saul that the Lord would be with him. He said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Or consider Daniel. Picture him in the den of lions and hear the agonized voice of King Darius. Daniel 6, verse 19 to 22 describes how at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut up the mouths of the lions. Or consider Ezra who when he arrived safely in Jerusalem after traveling through the dangerous desert, wrote in Ezra 8 verse 31, the hand of our God was on us and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. Or consider Stephen as he faced that group of angry Jewish leaders who were incensed at his speech before the Sanhedrin. You may say, wait a minute, I think you have the wrong example. Didn't they stone Stephen? Doesn't Acts chapter 7 end with Stephen being stoned to death? Does that mean that God protected David, Daniel, and Ezra, but failed to protect Stephen? Not at all. 
Even Stephen was protected because he belonged, as does every Christian, to the Lord in life and in death. The Lord allowed him to come to the doorway of death, as all of us will one day, unless the Lord returns in our lifetime. And when the believer comes to that dark and foreboding door, he is protected. He or she can say the words of Psalm 23 with confidence, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The true believer is protected, even in death, and can exclaim at death as willingly as Stephen did, Look, I see heaven opened and a Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. A third source of great comfort, the Lord is the source of our help, and he is able to help, for he is almighty creator of heaven and earth. The last part of verse 8 qualifies the first part of the verse. The promise that our help is in the name of the Lord is qualified by God's credentials as the one who made heaven and earth. Sometimes we want to help someone with whatever trial or hardship they face but we recognize quickly our own inability and weakness to do so. Although we want to help, we ourselves are helpless. That is never the case with our Lord. His qualification to help you and to help me is that he is the maker of heaven and earth. Was the creation of the world, the creation of the entire cosmos and all that is in it, was that a long, hard project for him? one in which he enlisted the entire host of angelic powers to assist him so that finally, through a great cosmic effort, the world came into being? Not at all. He spoke, and this world, this cosmos, came into being by the power of his spoken word. What David is saying there in verse 8 is that your help comes from the Lord, and he is more than able to help you. He is all-powerful. He spoke, and the world came into being, and he still upholds and sustains the world which he created, even when it totters. The Lord himself has given us this promise. In Psalm 75, verse 3, when the earth totters in all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. After all, God created the earth, including our solar system and the stars. Psalm 147 declares he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Consider also the sparrow falling to the ground. The Lord knows and cares. How much more does he know your situation and your need? And because he knows our every need better than we know our needs, he assures us that he will work all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now we consider our response. Since as David says, our help is in the name of the Lord, what should our response be? First, remember how the Lord has helped and blessed you and blessed you through the troubles of your life. In this psalm, David is remembering the Lord's work in his life and in the life of Israel as an Old Testament nation. And he writes, if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed up alive. In today's vernacular, 
If the Lord had not been on our side, we would be toast. We would be doomed. In your life and mine, as we reflect back, aren't there many ifs when we would have, done, when we would have been destroyed had our help not been from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth? How often has God protected you, guarded you, and cared for you, even though you didn't realize it at the time, but only see it in retrospect. However, nowhere do we see God's help and his deliverance, the fact that he is indeed on our side more than we do than at the cross at Calvary. There at Calvary, we see the reason why the eternal Christ, God himself, took on human flesh and became like us in every way except sin. Jesus is the greatest help, the greatest deliverance, for he delivered us from the penalty and curse of our sin. And we are told to remember this. The Bible is a book that calls us time and again to remember the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And at our Lord's Supper celebration table this, earlier this, this morning are the words of Jesus exhorting and commanding us to do this in remembrance of me. But aren't we often like Israel? in the Old Testament, that we forget the Lord and his deliverance, not just from the hostility of the world, the flood of troubles, the snares of the evil one, but we even forget so quickly our deliverance from the judgment of our sin by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Our Savior, of course, is pictured throughout the Old Testament. He is the rock that accompanied Israel. He is portrayed and prefigured in all the sacrifices and ordinances of the Old Testament scrolls. But how quickly the people of God forgot God's work in their lives. They forgot his protective care. They failed to see his hand of guidance. In Psalm 105, verse 5, the Holy Spirit tells us, Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has pronounced. And then one psalm later, Psalm 106, verse 7, when our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. By contrast, when we consciously remember and meditate on what the Lord has done, the maker of heaven and earth, even or especially in the deep valleys of our life, we will praise him. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Praise be to the Lord. Count your many blessings. Remember what God has done to you in your life, and especially in the deep troubled times that you have experienced. And you cannot help but praise him. A third response is to trust him. Scripture makes it clear that we will face the hostility of the world. We will suffer through floods of many troubles and snares when least expected. But scripture also makes it clear that in all the circumstances of our life, we can put our trust in him. For our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he will give us all what we need in this pilgrimage of life. That's true for our personal lives. It's also true for the turbulent, divided nations of this world. The help that these nations need is not found in a political system, a constitution, or a charter of rights. But ultimately, the help for every nation, including ours on the face of the earth, is in the Lord. His word tells us righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Every Christian 
and every nation are targets for the devil's slings and arrows, and so too is every church. Every church faces troubles. Every church faces the snares and the hostility of the world, and every church faces attacks of the evil one, both subtle attacks and up-front-in-your-face attacks, because there is nothing more than the devil would rather do than to destroy the body, the bride of Christ on earth, the true church. But every member, every member of the true church can look forward to the future with full trust and confidence. Our trust and confidence is in the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 21 to 23 assures us that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And God the Father put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The same God who has blessed his church throughout history and strengthened her so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against her will continue to lead, guide, and bless his bride. For his son, who is the redeemer and head of the church, is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. No matter what the future holds for this world, for our church, for our individual lives, Our help is in the name of the Lord. He is the maker, the creator, and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. May our trust as his people always be firmly placed on him through saving faith in his dear son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.